Hi, I'm JJ. You just saw me up there. Um, I'm going to be reading today's scripture for us, which is Matthew 1, 1 through 17, out of the NIV. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That is a lot of names. Um, you know what? I think there's a better way to do this. No, give me my... Like I said, a better way. Now listen to Matthew 1, 1 through 17 from not the NIV. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar, Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram, then Amanda, Dab, then Nashanu was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Rushi Mary Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse, Jesse had David, who we know as King. David he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amen, who was Amen, who was father of a good boy named Josiah, who grandfathered Joy again, who caused the Babylonian captivity. Because he was a liar, not really, but it rhymes. Then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiad, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azur, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliad. Then he had Eliezer, who had Mathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ. Now that is how you make the begats fun. <laughs> so our Advent theme for this year is from generation to generation, there is room in every story. I want to say a special thank you to Cindy Kirsch, who took care of all of this background for us this morning. 
She had an art student at ISU. She commissioned him to paint this generation picture for us. When you get a second, come look at the detail of it. Please don't touch it. <laughs> but it's just absolutely stunning and beautiful and uh, just amazing. Also, I want to encourage you to bring some photos next week. So we, we've got room up here for more photos of your family, your peoples. So bring those. Another thing that we want you to do is bring some three and a half by five or four by six just snapshots of you and your family, and we're going to hang them on the tree as the Advent season goes throughout the next four weeks. So next Sunday, we'll remind you this week on Facebook. Remember your pictures for this uh, spread right up here and your small photos for the tree that we'll decorate with. Thank you. Now, if you have a Bible app, I'm going to ask you to look up Matthew 1, 1 through 17, just so you have it in front of you. Or you can use one of the pew Bibles in front of you. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. There's a lot of names in there, right? A lot of names. I was letting my husband, Terry, listen to this song a couple of weeks ago that we were going to use this morning, and he was like, well, they can't be all. I was like, you're right, that's not. So there's two genealogies in the Gospels. Luke has one, and Matthew has one. Matthew, we know, is a Jewish, and he is speaking through his Gospel to a Jewish audience. And for Matthew's telling of the genealogy of Jesus... Accuracy is not the point. The point is where we come from. For first century Jews, descent is more important than character. Who you are and where you came from was more important in a first century Jewish world. Matthew is framing Jesus as a reflection and a continuation of the narratives of the Torah. For Matthew... He is trying to confirm that Jesus meets all the requirements. A descendant of Abraham, Jacob, and David. Is that me? Okay, just making sure because I've done that before. I just wanted to be sure. It could have been me and I... Anyway, I've had enough jokes for the day. Let's stop. Jesus has covenant authority from Abraham and royal authority from King David. He is bona fide. This is the purpose of Matthew's genealogy. Diana Butler Bass says in her book, Grounded, this claim of Matthew's is big and bold, directed to a Jewish audience seeking both political liberation and spiritual empowerment during a time of oppression. All God's promises to Israel are fulfilled in Jesus, who appeared to be the son of a carpenter, but was in actuality both king and savior. Matthew is not making the case for historical accuracy, biology, genetics, DNA. He is making a theological claim. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and purpose. Matthew has arranged the genealogy to express the threefold movement that began with Abraham, moved to David, the Jewish king at the apex, then down to apparent defeat and the dissolution 
of David's kingdom. But then, in a surprising reversal, up again to Jesus. Also, by naming all the people that Matthew does, he's making another point. God is including all. Five women are included in this genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and of course Mary. God includes all of us in the story. God works through irregular, even scandalous ways, and especially through women who took the initiative, like Tamar and Ruth. It would seem that through this inclusion of women, Matthew wants his Jewish and even Gentile reader to also know that God is including the Gentiles. An inclusive God. What a concept. A few weeks ago, I went with some girlfriends from here to uh, Minneapolis to an Evolving Faith conference. And going off with a group of women that you've never really gone off with to like share a hotel room with, there's some inherent insecurities that come up within me. Probably with all of us, maybe, right? First of all, I snore. And that makes me nervous because I'm afraid people will be annoyed. They won't sleep. They'll be irritated. They'll come back here to Mago and tell you all, Dear God, she snores like a freight train. Nobody asks you, though. <laughs> For the record, so does he. I had a group of friends in Mississippi, a group of about five girlfriends, and we went on trips together all the time for years and years. And there was a girl that was a part of that group that just could not stand when I would snow her. And it always would give me so much anxiety when we go on a trip, if she was in the hotel room with me, because I can't sleep, because I'm scared to death, I'm going to snow her, and then she's going to be a horrible human being to me, and I just blah, 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 I couldn't do it. So I tell them, I tell the ladies, I do snow her, they're like, okay. The first night, didn't sleep a wink, trying not to snore. We get up the next morning, they were all like, you didn't snore at all. I was like, I know, I didn't really sleep. I was afraid I would snore. And the next night, they were like, Melinda, we want you to sleep. We want you to. Your snoring is not bothering, is not going to bother us. Woke up the next morning. And they said, you snored and we were so happy because we knew you were sleeping. Y'all, some inclusiveness goes a long way, does it not? Even for us pesky snorers, an inclusive God. An inclusive God means that we should be inclusive too. What a concept. From generation to generation. My grandmother Sparks birthed nine kids, lived on a cotton farm in Mississippi, and uh, this, was, this was her Bible. She died of Alzheimer's, complication from Alzheimer's in her 90s, never forgot a single hymn. She forgot every single person on this planet, but she never forgot a hymn. She knew it by heart. My dad gave me her Bible. She has... Ross Collins Sparks and Bernie Sybil Ivy were united in holy matrimony on the fifth day of November in the year of our Lord, 1938. She has the birth of all of her children, all nine of them, all their marriages. Some of the divorces didn't get listed, but we won't go there. 
and even deaths that she recorded of her husband, a granddaughter, and others. She has sermon notes in here. You can see that it's absolutely falling apart, but I, these are her sermon notes that she would take. I, I, I mean, I would. these are priceless to me, absolutely priceless. But the thing that I love the most about my grandmother Helen's Bible is she had a prayer list in here. People that she prayed for regularly. Besides her family, her immediate family, these were the people she prayed for. My grandmother wasn't very educated. Wasn't fancy. JJ and I were talking this morning about low class. That was them. But I want you to know that she left a legacy and a granddaughter that she never knew would grow up to be a preacher and share the gospel just like she did every Sunday when she sang those hymns. She was the loudest singer in the room. Do you know what else I do that I find absolutely just beautiful and can just make me fall into sobs on this floor? You know what this is? This is my prayer list. I don't tell you this to say, ooh, look at me, oh, she's so holy, she's so good. I don't mean that at all. I mean to tell you that there are things that have been handed down to us that are worth taking on and making ours. There are things that we should not forget that are good and we should latch on to those things. Colin McCann says, We return to the lives of those who have gone before us. A perplexing Mobius strip until we come home eventually to ourselves. Now, I'm not a math person. I had no idea what a Mobius strip was. I had to Google it. I get, this, get in, the, in the office this morning to pray, and I got a room full of uh, teachers and engineers and mathy people, and they're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> I didn't know. So this was my attempt at a Mobius strip or a Mobius loop, a surface that can be formed by attaching the ends of a strip of paper together with a half twist. My friend Jay says it goes on and on. Jeff says one twist, but it goes on and on. Even in the twist, it keeps going, keeps going. I do not want you to raise your hand or tell me afterwards you knew this already. I want to pretend that you didn't know it either. From generation to generation, a perplexing Mobius strip. My genealogy is most definitely a perplexing Mobius strip. Together we are bound for all time. We're bound together through shared memories. Me, my mom, and her sisters gathered around my grandmother's Helms hospital bed, telling her quietly how much we loved her how much she meant to us, and holding her hand as she, passed, as she passed from death and this life to life in the arms of God. Bound together by the horror stories that are dark, and we don't talk about them, but we all know they're there. A perplexing Mobius strip. In Diana Butler's Bass's book, Grounded Again, she speaks of being rooted, in particular through our ancestors. 
she says that honoring ancestors is a nearly universal practice. Every May in Mississippi and Alabama, we have a Decoration Sunday. I don't know that that's something that Illinoisan people do. How is it? Is it Illinois? What? Illinoisans? Okay, whatever. People in Illinois. How about that? I don't know if this is a thing for Illinois people, but it is in the South. Decoration Day is an annual observance at many southern graveyards during which families gather to clean up the graveyard, reconnect with family, and honor the memories of their ancestors. In Alabama, this tradition is generally strongest among rural white communities in the northern part of the state. This is what I grew up with. One Sunday in every May, we would all gather together for lunch after church on a Sunday. Somebody would buy the flowers. We'd all chip in. We'd go to the graveyard and we would decorate the graves of great-grandparents and siblings. My grandmother, one of the last decoration Sundays that I went to with my grandmother Helms, she was standing beside me in the cemetery and she was commenting on how pretty some of the flowers were because that's what those older women do. Oh, look how pretty that is. That must have been expensive. Oh, those are pretty. And that's what she was doing with me that day. She was, look at those new flowers. Some of, the, some of them were elaborate. Some of them were more simple. She was so impressed by the freshly dressed tombstones. But Lord of mercy, for the ones that had no one to come up and dress those with new flowers, she was unsparing with her judgment on the family who did not acknowledge their loved ones with fresh flowers. She looked at me and she said, Melinda Diane, don't ever let my grave go without fresh new flowers in May. And my family has honored that for her since May of 2006, along with her parents' graves, siblings, graves beside hers. This is the way that my family honors ancestors. Our genealogy, our ancestry, is a handing down of patterns of faith, doubt, joy, and despair. To understand these patterns and the interrelatedness of sadness and even sin often opens new paths of mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. We learn not only who we are, but who we can be. There are inherent characteristics that we deal with. My grandmother Helms loved her children, but she struggled with being motherly. She was aloof. She didn't say, I love you, to her kids and give them warm hugs or sweet kisses. She was not June Cleaver or Claire Huxtable, but to be honest, neither were June Cleaver nor Claire Huxtable. She was a little bit of a mix of Roseanne and Edith Bucker. But when you dig deep into the trauma that she lived through as a wife, and he's a young person, you get it. She didn't have the tools, the language. I inherited a mom who did not examine that pattern of mothering too deeply and wound up replicating it with me. She had her own childhood trauma. She had her own adult trauma that made it easier to understand why. But I want to say this here and now because I have some therapists and some counselors in the room, and I can, as soon as I typed that, I could hear Elizabeth Hentzhold in my ear saying this, and if, if I'm wrong, you can tell me later. But even understanding doesn't make it okay. But even understanding doesn't mean that I didn't deserve better, you didn't deserve better. 
And I say that because somebody else needs to hear that today too. Yes, we have sympathy and compassion and understanding, but that doesn't make it any less painful. And We have to work through that pain on our own, however we need to do it. Did I do okay, Elizabeth? Okay, good. I was determined to be different. That legacy didn't have to be passed down to my kids. I tried to be present, loving, hugging, warm, kissy. And yet my adult children will tell you that even those unwanted and even harmful characteristics and practices of my mom and grandmother in small doses still managed to seep through. My prayer is that my children will be better than me, will be better than me in that regard. We learn better. Hopefully we do better. We are rooted through our DNA. Jesus' story was one of humanness, of faith and faithlessness, of good and noble deeds and of terrible and evil deeds, of deception and manipulation, of sexual duplicity and marital infidelity. Jesus' family was just like ours. Weird. And this is the point. Just as the song we sang at the very top of the service, God is with us. A God who knows our shameful past and just loves us. A God who knows how we were harmed in childhood homes where we should have been safe. God offers us healing. A God who knows about the marital infidelities, the sexual duplicities, the deceptions and manipulations, the good and noble and evil deeds. God knows our genetic predispositions, our dysfunctions and our traumas. And God was with us then and God is with us now. Deuteronomy 5, 9 through 10 says, I am God, your God, and I'm a most jealous God. I hold parents responsible for any sins they pass on to their children to the third and yes, even to the fourth generation. That part of that scripture always terrified me. It made me feel like anything that I did wrong in a dysfunctional way to my children, that it would just, I, I would just, I lived with some heaviness on my head. Some of you may have too. But what I forgot was the next verse. But I'm lovingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. According to Hebrew teaching, the inheritance of human beings is not primarily sin but blessing. As the ramifications of goodness lasts many thousand times longer than that of evil. Catholic priest and theologian Dermon Armachieu refers to this as ancestral grace. The belief that God has been with, hu with humanity on the whole evolutionary journey of seven million years and the great gifting power that nourishes and sustains all of us here we love and move and have our being in a great web of belonging whose connective tissue is grace. We return to the lives of those who have gone before us. A perplexing Mobius strip until we come home eventually to ourselves. There's room in every story. There was room in Christ's story for dubious people. There was room in Christ's story for saintly people and dastardly people. There was room in Christ's story for second-class citizens and kings. There was room in Christ's story for all the weird ones. And there is room in our story for all of the above.
what will we do with them? We just spent Thanksgiving with family. Some weird ones, right? Some people in the room we wish would just be quiet. Some people that latch on to conspiracy theories and they feel compelled to tell everybody in the room about it for the next 30 minutes and you're going to die listening to it. We have those families, right? This past Thanksgiving was different for us. Our children were there. My ex-husband and his new wife came up from South Georgia and had Thanksgiving with us. It was a first. It was weird. It was weird. But we survived. Mainly we just left the room. Say that again. It was worth it. Thank you, Vicki. It was worth it. It was worth it. What have we been handed down? What do we want to hand down? This is the time when I want to offer up some sermon discussion to the room. I would like for you to share with us what are some things you have been handed down and what are some things that you want to hand down? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's true. Good work ethics but more importantly, the ability to see people as they are. Yes. Listening. listening. That's right. Listening instead of talking as I stand up here and talk for the past 20 minutes. Who else? Yes. Forgiveness. My heavens. My heavens. Whew. What else? Yes. Connection. Yes. Prayerfulness, playfulness, gratefulness. Thank you. Yes. Curiosity. Oh, my heavens, that's good. Oh, thankful for the curious ones in our families, right? Who else? Oh, humility. Oh. Sense of humor. Oh, my heavens to Pete. Yes, unconditional love. As each person in this room has said these different things, did you automatically start connecting that with a family member? Who showed me compassion? Who showed curiosity in the family? Who, who was grateful in my family? Who made a point to be connected in our family? Those are the things that we're grateful for and hopefully will pass down to our children and our grandchildren, our neighbor's kids, our sister's kids, and on and on. Will you pray with me this morning? 
God, we are thankful that we are here today. We are thankful that even in the boringness of a genealogy of Jesus, that yet you still speak. While it may be boring, it's important. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of our families. In the name of Jesus, amen.